As we continue in our series on the letter of James, my topic today is No Friend to the World. My text is James chapter 4 and verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James is saying that even if we are living in faith, claiming the promises of God in confident prayer, living by wisdom from above, which is the Holy Spirit, doing not just hearing the word by loving our neighbor as ourselves, anywhere and everywhere, we need to be warned. We need to be warned against becoming a friend to the world and thus an enemy to God. This is strong language and at first I think confusing. Doesn't God love the world and has sent his son to redeem it? Are we not to rejoice in the wonders of his creation when, as the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork? And if we are truly trying to love our neighbors as ourselves and the world is full of our neighbors, are we not to love the world? And doesn't this imply friendship? So how can friendship with the world make us enemies of God? Sometimes evangelical Christians respond to this problem by withdrawing from the world. There is a strong strain in our hymnody of what can only be called escapism. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Matt Sigler could probably sing a dozen more gospel songs in the same vein. Now this song makes sense if you're 85 and most of your family and friends have gone to glory. But I'm preaching to 20 and 30 somethings and it makes no sense for you. As Mark Booker would say, you must engage with the world, not withdraw from it. But what then does our text mean, friendship with the world? is enmity with God. What it means is what Jesus makes clear in the Sermon on the Mount. We cannot serve two masters, God and money. To understand our text, we need to supply two words which are clearly implied throughout James's letter. Friendship with the world without God is enmity with God. This is verse four. This is why verse four of chapter four begins with the words, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? The Christians to whom James is writes are cheating on God by befriending a world without God, one that refuses to acknowledge him, the world of autonomous man, in which man is the measure of all things, and things other than God are given ultimate worth and authority. Things like power and money and sex and fame and success. 
For James, Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. That's chapter 2, verse 1. He is the visible manifestation of the power and majesty of the invisible God. Apart from him, there is no real glory, and we should not glorify anything that is not subject to his authority. When as Christians we do this, befriending the world of godlessness in all its subtle forms, we become double-minded, according to James, and lose the purity of willing one thing, the kingdom of God. Instead of being a Christian who happens to teach fourth grade at a charter school, we become a fourth grade teacher who happens to find some spiritual refreshment at the Church of the Cross. Instead of being a Christian who happens to work as an engineer in a high-tech firm on 495, we become an engineer in a high-tech firm on 495 who happens to spend Sunday evenings at the Church of the Cross. Instead of being a Christian who happens to teach philosophy at Boston College, we become a philosophy teacher at Boston College who has some interest in ancient Anglican liturgical forms as experienced at the Church of the Cross. You cannot have both. To live in faith, seeking wisdom from above, doing the word, and be friends with a world without God is simply impossible. Remember, as we saw last week, that loving your neighbor as yourself requires you to be spontaneous and individual and interruptible, a poor time manager with a loosely held agenda and uncertain career prospects. This does not get you ahead in a world without God, where nice guys finish last. Whoever dies with the most toys wins where you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, where finders are keepers and losers are weepers, where failure is not an option, where you don't look back because someone might be gaining on you, and all the other cliches of a ruthless self-assertiveness of the soul, which is accountable only to itself. Not only does James identify double-mindedness as the root cause of Christian sin, but his letter traces the progress of this spiritual disease through different aspects of our lives. Perhaps it begins by showing partiality to the rich and successful whom we envy and of whom we are in awe. James condemns the giving the best seats in our meeting to them while assigning the poor seats on the floor. When, says James, they, not the wealthy and famous, are rich in faith and true heirs of the kingdom. How impressed are you in the presence of celebrity? Do you read People magazine, except when waiting at the dentist? Then we become full of plans and dreams and schemes of what we will do in the years to come when the degree is finished or when the promotion is secured, or when the startup venture finally pays off. James reminds us that we are like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He tells us to say of our plans, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, and not just say it, but believe it. As competition increases in the world without God and we begin to fall short of career goals and watch others move ahead, 
our tongues become unbridled and we indulge in sharp remarks, put-downs, and destructive gossip. We engage in dismissive judgments about other people also made in the image of God. We say, he is a loser. We say, what would you expect from her? We say, nothing he does would surprise me. We say, have you ever seen such unmitigated cheek? James says, no human being can tame the tongue. It requires help and healing from God as we recognize the double-mindedness and the anger and envy that follow from our falling short in a competitive world. But negative judgments can lead us on to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And the more we focus on these God substitutes, the more we are emptied of God's peace and become angry with unrighteous anger. James says that our quarrels and fights are caused by passions at war within ourselves. With powerful rhetoric, he writes, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Perhaps not physically, but psychologically through hatred. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In my experience, Christians gradually become double-minded, and then they begin to complain about unanswered prayer, spiritual dryness, and the absence and remoteness of God in their lives. Soon they become single-minded, but alas, that single-mindedness is entirely secular and they are former Christians. For James, who is apparently writing to Christians who have and may still be experiencing persecution, the spiritual decay of double-mindedness is more dangerous and more alarming perhaps than to you and to me. This is why his remedies are drastic and plunge us deep into the Lenten season. Submit yourselves to God, writes James. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Humble yourselves before the Lord. All of these warnings, powerful in their depth and breadth, are directed by James to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, probably Jewish followers of Jesus scattered after the martyrdom of Stephen and scattered further by subsequent persecutions. But one part of James's letter is a prophetic denunciation of non-Christians, like the Old Testament prophecies, which included oracles directed at Edom or Moab or Babylon. In chapter five, James denounces the rich landowners whose silver and gold has corroded because it is stored up and unspent, who fraudulently withhold the wages of their workers and have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Come now, you rich, writes James, weep and howl for the miseries coming upon you. We cannot be sure, but if James is the brother of Jesus, and became bishop in Jerusalem. And Joseph, Josephus, the Jewish historian, is right that James was put to death for transgressing against the law at the instigation of wealthy Sadducee landowners. This prophetic denunciation 
may have cost him his life in about 62 AD. But some six years later, it was proved a true prophecy in the destruction visited upon these same landowners by the Roman legions under Titus during the rebellion that culminated in the destruction of the temple and indeed of all Jerusalem in AD 70. But what does James say to us today? We are not Sadducee landowners. I think James says, if you can earn more than you need to live on, praise God and give it away. Pay a just wage and do not take advantage of the vulnerability of employees in hard economic conditions. These things are easier said than done. Our living standards and expectations are powerfully culturally conditioned. Good health care is increasingly expensive, yet deemed essential. Providing for our children is a powerful incentive to accumulate money and spend it on things we don't need ourselves. Living in an uncertain world makes us reluctant to part with any degree of financial security. But if we are Christians first, and only secondarily wage earners or investors or entrepreneurs, then the wisdom from above and the promises of God can guide us and provide for us in these perplexing situations. As Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So James warns us to be no friend to the world without God. And he closes his letter with these words. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I feel that through his letter, James does that for us. And I hope you do too. Amen.